Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Are you at home right now? Or in a car? Or maybe listening on headphones while you walk? Let me ask you this. Are there toys around you? In the next room? In the car with you? Maybe right next to you? Last question for now, I promise. How many of those toys are modeled after humans? Are they action figures? Maybe even humanoid robots or aliens? Or maybe some kind of doll? As long as there have been humans, we have created miniature versions of ourselves to play with. Whether out of sticks and stones, or the most modern, colorful plastics and fabrics, it's clear that humans have some fascination with acting out our imaginations with characters like us. But that's the thing about dolls, right? They are like us. But somewhere in their fixed expressions with staring eyes, there's also a place for us to project some of our, well, not-so-positive thoughts and feelings. And because really I'm never done asking you questions, have you ever seen a doll that kinda creeped you out? If so, you're not alone. I'm Elise Parisian, and we'll be talking about all kinds of dolls. Magic, creepy, sneaky, and potentially evil on this episode of Unspookable. are scary and they have really big eyes or like really tiny eyes and they haunt you at night especially when you have american girl dolls and barbies and that's why i don't like going upstairs because they're creepy and they're laying on the floor and i don't want to touch them anymore i've been scared of a doll once because well how it happened was i was sleeping And I remember putting my doll back in its American Girl doll cupboard. And then I woke up and my door was locked all night. And so I woke up and my doll was on the floor out of the cabinet with the doors closed. In 2004, archaeologists working on the Mediterranean island of Pantelleria between Sicily and Tunisia found a 4,000-year-old stone carving that they first believed was a religious object. But then they discovered tiny stone pots and pans to go with the tiny stone person. They decided the carving was probably a toy, a doll found with parts of a toy kitchen set, small carvings in the stone head for eyes, nose, and mouth, and wavy lines carved into the top and sides of the head for hair. Around the same time as that doll was carved, ancient Egyptians were making dolls out of papyrus, linen, and wood. Just like with some of the ancient dolls discovered in other areas of the world, archaeologists and historians debate about the purpose of some of these dolls. Are they for religious rituals? Are they for play? Are they for both? In ancient Egypt, the paddle doll was often buried with people. A piece of flat wood carved into a female figure, paddle dolls are thought to perhaps have been symbols to help the dead spirit to be reborn in the next life. 
or they could also represent dancers, meant to entertain the buried person in death. In ancient Greece, dolls were often made to represent the girl they belonged to, and they were carried with her when she got married as kind of a good luck charm, so that she would have children. The Ndebele people, living in modern-day Zimbabwe and South Africa, make elaborate beaded dolls that represent different stages of life for both boys and girls. In these cases, it seems like a doll is a toy, but at the same time, it's more than that. The meaning is beyond playing pretend. It's about creating a representation that will change or reinforce the life we want to live. So where does that desire cross over into something less like representation and more like magic? One example that comes to mind is the voodoo doll. On the last episode of Unspookable, we talked about how voodoo is misunderstood in Western culture. Many people associate it with some sort of dark magic or ritual because of the way that the people of Haiti and other cultures that may practice voodoo have been portrayed. Many people think voodoo dolls are figures that represent a person you want to hurt. You might stick pins in it or otherwise hurt the doll in order to hurt the person. While a voodoo doll could be used for this purpose, they could also be used for healing rituals or spells that are supposed to have a positive outcome. And truthfully, voodoo dolls aren't even used in Haitian voodoo practices that often. Many more cultures all over the world have used similar figures without the negative association. Starting in medieval times in Britain, a group known as the Cunning Folk practiced magic to try and help people. They were known to make dolls out of rags and other materials to perform spells and charms for healing, for love, and sometimes to try to counteract spells by evil witches. Another European tradition, the Poppet doll, was made out of grain husks, or really any material at hand. This doll was very similar to how we may think of the voodoo doll, used for spells that might harm the person they were made to represent. Sometimes they were hidden in chimneys, so that as the doll was covered in smoke and ash, the person it represented would get sick. So the use of dolls in both good and bad witchcraft has a long history outside of voodoo. There's an interesting connection between dolls used for play, for representation, for ritual, and for magic. You might say, a doll that's a toy is so different than one that could be used for spells. But if you think about it, when we play, we are anthropomorphizing or adding human characteristics to an object. We are giving just a little bit of our energy to an object that doesn't have any in order to make it real. Doesn't that make play kind of like a small form of magic? More on that magic and the eerie spark that dolls can give us after this. I think dolls can be creepy to some people because there's just a lot of things with like ghosts and vampires and testing if they're real but dolls are a thing like dolls exist but weird things happen with dolls but weird things happen with other everyday objects that people just don't pay attention to they want to pay attention to the things that other people think are scary the type of doll that i've been most scared of in the past are like the porcelain dolls or whatever they're called they're not plastic or like anything like that they have like these eyes that like feel like real eyelashes and like this like 
crusty hair. It's it's weird. <laughs> it just is not. It's not good. And the eyes just creep me out. And it looks. They all look like Annabelle. And I'm just afraid of dolls now. My grandma has a lot of dolls, and she has a room where it's like a sewing closet where she sits and sews. And one time, I was going in there to grab something for my cousin. And all of the dolls, there was a huge bookcase for them. And in the living room, there's two big, not even like one shelf. They have like four shelves. One has like 12. And they're just all full of dolls. Some people might be scared of dolls since I did see this really weird. um, You might see weird dolls from the past that that might freak you out. Antique dolls might scare you. If you saw a stone doll or a wooden doll from 4,000 years ago, chances are you wouldn't be scared by it. But what about a doll that looks more like a person? A fear of dolls is technically called pediophobia, which is related to puppophobia, a fear of puppets. Both of these fall under the broader fear of humanoid figures, or automatonophobia. You may have heard the word humanoid before, It usually means having an appearance or a character resembling that of a human. As in, it has some of the qualities, but it's decidedly not human. So what is it about certain figures that might make them creepy to us? Have you ever heard the term the uncanny valley? Sounds kind of complicated, but bear with me. The uncanny valley is a way of describing how our emotional reactions to objects might change depending on how human they look. For example, a robot that's made up mostly of metal parts. Even though it walks upright and has a face shaped like a human, we might feel positive emotions towards it. But let's say a robot was so human-looking that we almost couldn't tell the difference between it and a real person. Then we might feel creeped out or scared by it. This is the range of feelings described by the uncanny valley. Word uncanny can be defined as strange or mysterious in an unsettling way. The valley part refers to this dip in likability. Usually a valley refers to a low area of land between hills or mountains. In this case, a valley is formed on a graph that shows our emotions towards humanoid things. The line of the graph slopes downwards as the humanoid's likability decreases. This term comes from a few different sources. In 1919, the famous psychologist Sigmund Freud wrote an essay called The Uncanny about the psychological effects of things like dolls or wax figures that are eerie feeling because they are strangely familiar. The theorist Jacques Lacan expands on this idea, saying the uncanny is when we do not know how to distinguish bad and good, pleasure from displeasure. Have you ever had that experience? where maybe the hair on the back of your neck stands up a little bit. Not because you're scared of something unfamiliar, but because you get a shudder about something that is all too familiar. The robotics professor Masahiro Mori expanded on the concept, first talking about the uncanny valley effect in building robots in 1970. Now that we have so many examples of robotics, artificial intelligence, and computer-generated animation in our lives today, Can you think of a time that you've been creeped out by any of these things? For some people, the popular Christmas movie The Polar Express creeps them out so much that they can't watch it. 
simply because of the animation style of the human characters. In the recent remake of The Lion King, some people argue that the hyper-realistic animal animation is an example of the uncanny valley effect in the way that it gives human qualities to these animals. The range of human emotions that relate to fear may be as varied as humans themselves. You might have no reaction to dolls at all. You might find them weird or repulsive. But for those of us with full-blown pediophobia, the stories coming up might just confirm your worst fears. We'll get into the most famous examples of evil dolls right after this. The creepy dolls that I've heard of are Annabelle. Annabelle might look like a doll with blood and stuff on her. The famous creepy dolls I can think of are Annabelle and Poppy. Well, she's not really a doll. She's just creepy and uh, I don't even I don't even know if she's real or not. There's also another famous one, Chucky, that is a tiny doll. I learned that in my monster book. Um, he has a knife. And he goes around killing, too? I think those dolls are scary because they do have blood on them. And they have blood on them that might scare people, since if that happened, people would probably be scared. Do you know those kind of realistic-looking porcelain dolls with white faces and elaborate dresses? The kind that look like they may have come from the 1800s? I have to admit, those are the ones that I find the most eerie. In the late 18 and early 1900s, technological innovations started allowing more variety in doll manufacturing. Different eyes and facial structures became possible including eyes with eyelashes or lids that can open and close. A doll called Mandy, originally made in the 1910s, is kept in the Kesnell Museum in British Columbia. She has a long white dress and a cheerful face with bright eyes. Her owner donated Mandy to the museum in 1991, telling them that she had been hearing a baby crying in her basement where the doll was kept. After she gave the doll away, the crying stopped. But now, museum employees report hearing baby sounds and tiny footsteps after hours. They keep Mandy locked up in a special glass case just for extra precaution. The East Morteo Museum in Key West, Florida has a doll named Robert. At over 100 years old, Robert's features have faded a little bit but his sailor outfit and sweet expression still make him look innocent enough. He originally belonged to an eccentric painter named Robert Otto, and it is said that the doll can change its facial expressions, laugh, and even move. According to a local legend, Otto received the doll as a gift when he was a child in the early 1900s, and he would blame the doll when he did something wrong, creating a curse. People who visit the museum and fail to show Robert respect have reported mishaps and even more serious accidents later. All of these haunted doll stories have led to some pretty scary creations in pop culture. Many of the first horror films that featured scary dolls were actually about puppets, especially ventriloquist dummies. 
The relationship between a potentially evil puppet and its master is a plot point in movies like The Great Gabo from 1929 and The Dead of Night from 1945. The question in these films often becomes, is it the doll that's evil? Or the person who created it and uses it in performance? With ventriloquism, the way that the person has to manipulate the puppet leaves a lot of room for speculation. Does it have a life of its own? Or is it dependent on the will of its owner? You may not have seen black and white films about ventriloquism from the early 1900s, but maybe you've seen or heard of Slappy. Slappy the Dummy first appeared in the famous Goosebumps series by R.L. Stein. In the 1993 book, Night of the Living Dummy, twin sisters find Slappy, who eventually comes to life. Slappy is one of the most popular characters in the Goosebumps history, and he plays a big part in the recent Goosebumps movies. It seems all Slappy wants is to be a part of the real world, to not get sucked back into the book he came from, and he will do almost anything to make that happen. Where the Goosebumps movies can be described as horror comedy and have light moments as well as scary moments, there are plenty of horror movies for adults that have dolls as the main character. Maybe you've heard the names Chucky or Annabelle. These dolls each have whole series of films that they appear in. Chucky the doll is said to be possessed by the spirit of a murderer, while Annabelle is connected to a demon that wants to harvest souls. It's important to remember that all of these examples are just stories. Like many of the things we talk about on Unspookable, the fictional stories that we make up to scare ourselves are created by thinking about real fears and then making them larger than life. That uncanny feeling that dolls can cause, where we think, is it looking at me? That can easily turn into, that doll is possessed. When we give dolls or other humanoid figures human-like qualities, those can reflect the full range of humanity, kind or rude, mischievous or comforting, good or evil. As humans, we contain all of these possibilities, and therefore so do our toys. As our technological capabilities get more and more advanced, to the point where we're asking, wait, is that a real person or a robot? We even start to question, what does it mean to make something real? If we want a doll or a robot to be lifelike, what does that mean? Objects can have the meaning that you give them. So the next time you look at a doll, what will you see in it? And what does that say about who you are? Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit, produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen, with episode artwork by Sarah Stitches. Special thanks this week to our guests Blythe, Al, and Olivia. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice, or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. 
Unspookable is part of the Soundsington Audio Network, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. For over six years, The Past and the Curious has been winning fans, sharing stories of real people from the past, and making people smile. I'm Mick Sullivan, author of I See Lincoln's Underpants, which is a book about, well, famous people's underwear. You'll find all of those stories and much, much more in the 100-plus episodes of The Past and the Curious that are currently available. Find it in all the usual podcast places. The Past and the Curious with Mick Sullivan. That's me.